Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is a special day here at the Impact 89 FM studios. It's the debut episode of this season of Impact is on your podcast for all things Michigan State basketball. We'll be here all season long with you guys, bringing you everything that you need this season. Uh, and first off, I'm your host, Brennan Shabath. I was on the beat last year. My voice might be familiar from some of the broadcasts, some of the podcasts. We had a fantastic time last season with our uh, resident graduates from a year ago, Luke Sloan and Trent Bally. But since they have graduated, that means we have some new names, some new faces. Uh, with me this season and all season long are going to be our sports editorial assistant, Luca Maloney, uh, and Michael Markoch, our host of The Pylon, a former women's basketball beat reporter, now switching over to the men's beat, uh, called the Northern Arizona game this year earlier, if you were listening to that one. Uh, guys, it's fantastic to be here. Luca, we'll start with you. Uh, you're going to be our, our resident writer this year. Uh, beat writer, are you excited for basketball season? I know you just, you're, you're not even technically done with soccer. For those of you that uh, follow along with Impact. Luca's been the main soccer guy we've had all season. The women's soccer team, they're still going in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, Jay and I, our season isn't done yet with women's soccer, but I do have to start making the transition over to men's basketball, and it does start today with our trip to Indy. So, very excited to be here, very excited to be along this season with you with you guys. Yeah, we're currently recording this on Tuesday morning before the Champions Classic, which is Tuesday night at 7 o'clock down in Indianapolis at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Right after we finish this, we're going to get on the road and make sure we get down there. Uh, Michael, you're going to be driving us because you have the most reliable car, which is yeah. a change from last year. There's a little bit yes. of PTSD for you from this drive a season ago. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, so last year on the women's beat, you know, we didn't get to travel much, but we did get to go down to Indianapolis for the Big Ten basketball tournament for the on the women's side. And so I had my dad's car up here when I was here and uh, I took that car down and it was uh, me Owen Ozest and Marin Klein who you guys may still know she's still on the women's beat this year um, and my car broke down in Anderson Indiana which is 40 minutes outside of the city so like we were almost there um, we stopped at a rest stop just to take a quick bathroom break and I came out and the car wouldn't start and it I got it started and then it would shut down literally like while I was on the highway like the car would shut off um, so fortunately, safely, we got to a gas station. I was able to pull over and then, you know, thank God for Uber. They were able to get us right. 40 minutes to our hotel and then we just Ubered the rest of the weekend. Um, but new car this year, so yes. new vibes. Yes, new car. <laughs> Less than 6,000 miles according to you. So yeah. we should be we should be all set to go and make sure to safely make it to Indy. I will say, I don't know how to feel about this, guys. If this is... The universe speaking, I don't know what it's trying to say, but this is our first episode of the year, and it's also our first snow of the year. We and woke it's up, a heavy snow, yeah, too. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Like, like I, I was checking the forecast last night, and you know, I said like 0.8 inches, a couple hours, like 30%, and as high as 70%. I was like, oh, it's going to snow. That kind of stinks. Like, it was 70, like, over the weekend at one point. Um, but yeah, it's snowing for the first time. While we do our first episode, I don't know. I woke up and that was weird vibes, but and it's also our first road trip together this season, so it's a little strange. But hey, I mean, maybe it's a good thing. Who knows? Yeah, no, it could always be a good sign. 
So we do have uh, some basketball to get to. With this being the first episode, there are some games that have already taken place, three total if you count the exhibition for Michigan State uh, against Grand Valley State at the start of the year back on November 1st. But the Northern Arizona game, which was a nice win for MSU, and then obviously the Armed Forces Classic that happened over the weekend on Friday against Gonzaga, a one-point loss for Michigan State, 64-63 to in that one. I think we should talk about this game the way it went, and it was a tale of two halves. Michigan State was phenomenal in the first half, I think, is, is probably the best way to put it. They rebounded well. They scored well. They defended well. Marty Sissoko was a beast on both ends of the floor. And then halftime hit. And I don't think Gonzaga made a bunch of changes in the second half that really stifled Michigan State. It was the fact that they stopped making shots from the floor, Hauser and Sissoko got in foul trouble. You had Malik Hall. You lump him into there, Malik Hall, because he finished the game with four fouls, uh, and they could no longer defend Drew Timmy. Yeah, it uh, was the it was really Brennan, like you said. I mean, Drew Timmy. Uh, it was the size matchup between switching when Sissoko wasn't on the floor, when Hauser wasn't on the floor anymore. That's when things really started to get tricky for Michigan State, and you know they couldn't keep up. But at the same time, I was impressed with their performance, regardless. It's one of those. And I think the AP voters understood it, too. I was talking with our sports editor, Liam Jackson, who I was watching the game with, and then our news director, who also covers football, Zach Slowick, uh, here at Impact. They were watching the game with me at my place, and we were discussing before the game was over and when Michigan State was leading um, where they'll be ranked in the top 25 come next week uh, after this good performance against the number 2 team in the country. They're not in the top 25, but they received 119 votes, which is the most of any team that was outside the top 25. Uh, Michael, do you think this is a top 25 team based on just the two games that we've seen? Did, did they show enough against Gonzaga, I guess is a better question, to give you a little bit of confidence for the rest of this season and the rest of this November where they have probably the toughest schedule in college basketball? I think it's kind of hit or miss. I think right now I would honestly say no. Um, and it doesn't have much to do. Like I said, I mean, I agree with both of you. I liked their effort on Friday night, but there was stuff in the second half that was a little bit alarming, especially with the offense. They kind of got the lead, got very stagnant. We're running plays from way back, almost near midcourt. Um, and that just can't happen. And I thought they had some poor miscommunications and poor rotations on defense that allowed Gonzaga a lot of open jumpers. And when you're not on an aircraft carrier – teams are probably going to be able it's to make you pay for that. Um, so I, I think they're close. Um, I don't think Gonzaga necessarily may be the number two team in the country because, you know, preseason AP poll, we never know. So I think, especially tonight, we're going to see them with a much different challenge. Like, this Kentucky team is loaded. And I think, I mean, I think they're close, but right now they just don't have that that guy right now either that, like, you saw it the final five minutes of the game. They had no idea who to go to. Yeah, they it, a clue. It, it kind of felt like last year in a sense and maybe even the year before in COVID I guess there was I think Aaron Henry was the guy they could lean on late in a game when they needed a bucket Rocket Watts for a little bit was that was that player too for a couple games um, but yeah I, Malik Hall Tyson Walker AJ Hogard nobody really wanted the ball in their hands to go make a play in the final three minutes and they did try to kind of force feed Malik Hall. That seemed to be their idea. 
Uh, and then, I mean, Brendan, you drew it up in your analysis on the final play. I mean, they drew up the play for Malik Hall. Right. Um, it's just Malik Hall wasn't able to – he just he just wasn't able to shoot like he needed to in order in that situation. And yeah. I think you have to give credit to a Gonzaga defense that is yep. very disciplined, mm-hmm. very well-worked. So when they catch a defensive rhythm like that in the final stretch of the game – it makes it a lot tougher for Michigan State when they don't have those clear options of who to go to to really execute. Yeah, and I think uh, the best example of that was the last play. And, Michael, you referenced a little film review that I did. If you want to take a, take a look at it, uh, it's on Twitter at WDBM Sports. You can find it on the sports account there or B-S-C-H-A-B-A-T-H-3. That's my Twitter handle. Um, and... I, I kind of went over it. It feels like Michigan State has a really good chance if Tyson Walker doesn't go four seconds too early. He leaves yep. too early to set the screen on Timmy, and then when Hall was coming across, um, Timmy was already ready for it. So he was able to get around that screen really easily. Rasir Bolton did a nice job avoiding mm-hmm. the screens as well, and then Walker was covered at the top of the key. But, yeah, that that was a disciplined Gonzaga defense. I think the biggest thing that they did that Michigan State wasn't able to do was defend without fouling. And that's what concerned me the most in this Gonzaga game. I think Michigan mm-hmm. State is okay without a center right now. I think Marty Sissoko is proving that he can maybe be the guy on both ends of the floor at the five position, but he's not quite there yet as far as the defensive discipline. So guys like Joey Hauser have to step up, and you can't get in foul trouble. And Not it, that early, at it's least. It's one thing for Hauser Can't to be. finish the game with five points and maybe have an off night 0 for 5 from the floor, but to foul out and handicap your team where now Sissoko can't go in and play because he's mm-hmm. got four and they're going to need him in the final two minutes instead of the final four, um, it, that just can't happen. And for, for Joey, he, he picked up two against Northern Arizona which is not bad, but he picked up four against Grand Valley State in the exhibition. And so this is the second time in three contests that we've seen him in foul trouble. And it's because call a spade a spade, shout out Trent Bally, always said that on this podcast last year, call a spade a spade, Joey Hauser's not a good defender. He's not athletic enough, he's not fast enough, he's not big enough to keep up with some of these guys but you cannot make up for that with fouls. You're just going to handicap your team the rest of the way, um, and hopefully he can get that turned around because Michigan State's going to need it, and they're going to need it in a game like tonight. Now, I will say uh, against Kentucky, who I feel, Michael, you kind of mentioned it, I feel Kentucky might be the number two team in the country. Currently ranked number four in the AP Top 25. Number one in Ken Palm, though, and for any of you listeners who were here last year or the year before, or follow me on Twitter, have any indication of who I am as a person, you're going to hear those words a lot, Ken Palm. I'm going to reference that all season long in the stats and the rankings and whatnot. Uh, But this Kentucky team is the number one team in Ken Palm. Um, They returned the consensus national player of the year who averaged 15 rebounds last season, Oscar Sheeway, the transfer from West Virginia two seasons ago. Um, But... Oscar had minor knee surgery back in October. He missed the first two. He's officially listed as day-to-day. There's no word yet whether he's going to play or not tonight against Michigan State. Izzo seemed pretty confident. I tell you, I mean, I tell you what, Michigan State needs him to not play because I don't know how they win this game with Oscar Shibway on the floor. Uh, this Kentucky team is, I mean, you just mentioned Shibway, but it's not the same Kentucky teams that we know of old. Like, usually right. we would know Kentucky teams being super young, 
with a lot of one and done players. This is not that Kentucky team. I mean, they are. This is a veteran team. Yeah, they yeah. are loaded with seniors. I mean, you look at guys like Jacob Toppin, who obviously he's the brother of Obi Toppin, who plays for the Knicks. They got guys like Severe Wheeler, the point guard, who's. I, I remember on. watching Severe Wheeler in this game last year. So we, we called the MSU Kansas game from the guard, and then it was Duke Kentucky on after. And if you leave. A sporting arena that has Duke and Kentucky on in front of you. You're an idiot. So we made you sure to be arrested. We made sure to stay and watch. And man, Wheeler, he it, Kentucky ended up losing that game. Duke looked really good. That was obviously when the last year when they had Paolo and went mm-hmm. to the Final Four. And that was a very good team that Michigan State ended up seeing later. Um, but Wheeler was one of those guys where you know you don't know anybody at the start of the year, especially for a game you're not calling and you haven't prepped for. And every time he'd drive and get a bucket or do something, I'd look up and three wheeler. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. that guy's good. You know that guy knows what he's doing, and he's back and and he looks like he might lead the country in assists this year. Yeah, he he played one game, and I believe he came off the bench and had eleven assists against Duquesne in their last game. Eleven and eleven, eleven yeah. points too, a double and double. That was off the bench. Yeah, from what I re- from what I recall in my in my prep, but there I mean their go to guy this year is Antonio Reeves, the senior forward. I mean he's the transfer from Illinois State. He's been their guy. In these last or these first two games, I guess, and that's a little bit different. Again, I mean, going right to the seniors, three seniors in that starting lineup. If Shibway plays, that's I mean, again, it's not the same Kentucky that we know. Yeah, and this will be a test for Kentucky too. We we talk about this a lot, and I don't think Michigan State from Spartan fans get enough credit for how good how good this team is. You know, Kentucky played Howard and Duquesne for their first two games. Not exactly. Uh, Gonzaga before they take on Michigan State. Now Kentucky will take on Gonzaga in two games after this one. Uh, I believe that's on November 20th. Don't quote mm-hmm. me on it. Though. I don't have it up in front of me. But um, this is this is a litmus test for Kentucky. Uh, and I think they're looking to be the better team because they are. On paper they are and they should be. You look at last season. You look at who they return. You look at the refreshment class that they have come in compared to Michigan State's. You look at the transfers, two areas that Michigan State really is um, behind the curve, I think, this season in college basketball, uh, more an outlook on the on the future for Tom Izzo rather than the, the here and now in this exact season. Um, and Kentucky's feeling the disappointment. For those of you that remember the St. Peter's Peacocks a mm-hmm. season ago, that run started with the Kentucky Wildcats in a game that... They were absolutely 1,000% supposed to. I went back and looked at it. Uh, the Athletic has what they call the slingshot model, which is just a bunch of math nerds doing math nerd stuff, and they come up with a percentage based on past historical upsets and whatnot and give each team uh, in in the tournament an upset percentage. Mm-hmm. St. Peter's had like a 1.2%. Now it's teams college with, basketball, you right, can't predict absolutely right. teams, anything. But, team, but, but in that model, they've been correct a lot where, like, if it's above 30, when I read those and I'm making my picks, if it's above 30, you're going to be hard-pressed to make me not pick that upset because 30 is high and that happens pretty frequently, and they're right a lot, the slingshot model. And I saw 1.2% on the 15-2, and obviously nobody thinks that's going to happen. Um, but they're, they're trying to get over that disappointment from last season. And we talked about the returners. They have a lot of those guys that were there. Shibway played in that game. Wheeler played in that game. Guys who need to kind of get that uh, monkey off their back and and try to get to a Final Four for Coach Cal. Yeah, and just to go over the historic details of Kentucky and Michigan State, uh, Kentucky leads the Spartans in a 14-11 all-time series record. This is the first time they will be meeting in Indianapolis. Yeah, and you know what was interesting? 
Uh, Tom Izzo does not have a, a good record in the Champs Classic, four and seven. Kentucky is a game below 500. I think the other two, Duke and Kansas, have actually winning records in this event. Um, they'll play each other right after Michigan State and Kentucky tonight. Um, but Tom Izzo's 20 and six in his career against the SEC. Now, when you say that, the big name that comes to mind first is Kentucky. And then after that, it's the Auburns and the Floridas, the Tennessees, who just lost, actually. Yeah, they did. Crazy. Uh, I was trying to watch that game, and then I forgot about it. I remember it was close near half. I was flipping back and forth because I was on a Sunday, and there was NFL football on and whatever. Um, I was watching Brown as well and Albion. Shout out Kai Winston and Daniel Friday, friends of the program who play for those two teams. Um, And I just forgot. I, I, I had made a point to watch that Colorado-Tennessee game. And then I forgot about it, even though I knew it was close at halftime. And sure enough, I go back after the fact, and Colorado won. And I was like, damn, I didn't even I didn't even watch it. It was my own fault. But that's neither here nor there. Tom Izzo has a good record against the SEC, um, but it just it never bodes well in the Champs Classic for him. And last year it felt like, you know, okay, maybe they come get an upset against Kansas. Kansas was a good team last year, and we knew – we knew from that first game they were going to be a national title contender, and look how that turned out. Um, the reigning national champions right now. Abaji had what thirty something yeah, on MSU, yeah, and, and it was just it was nuts. just foreshadowing the rest of the season for Kansas. Um, and uh, they were a really good team, and, and this kind of feels the same this year leading up to this Kentucky game. I think Michigan State right now is maybe better than they were going into that Kansas game a season ago, right around this time last year. Um, but I think Kentucky's all the bit as good as Kansas was coming into this game, if not better. I mean, people, until you watch a player like Oscar Shibway and look at the numbers that he has, you don't appreciate rebounding until something like that. It's like the Oscar Shibways, Andre Drummonds, the guys like that who go up there and get 15. It's the dirty work, man. 15 rebounds a game, man. Because of Shibway alone, Kentucky had a rebounding margin last season of almost plus 10 which was far and away the best in the country. And it's just Shibway alone basically doing his career high for rebounds in a game is 28. Oh my God. 28. And he's not the biggest guy either. He's no, only, he's not. He's only 6'9", six, six, nine, nine. 260. I mean, yeah. not any different than yeah. a lot of other guys at that position, but it's just the work rate on mm-hmm. this guy is crazy. So, I, I mean, as a basketball fan, I hope he plays tonight. As a Michigan State fan, I hope he doesn't. I hope he stays in Kentucky and doesn't even make the trip. Um, but we'll see. I, I, I think UK is purposefully being a little cryptic with their message about Shibway. I don't expect him, even if he does play, to play full mm-hmm. minutes, kind of like the Jay Nakin situation for Michigan State. It's a game you want to win. It's an early game in the season that will build your resume for later. But both of these teams don't need to build their resume, I feel like. I mean, maybe Michigan State a little bit more than Kentucky. Kentucky's going to be in the NCAA tournament. Michigan State, you think, is good enough right now to do well enough in the Big Ten to solidify their spot as well. So you don't want to risk injuries in a game in November that doesn't exactly mean everything um, before this season starts. I think for Michigan State, there's more leeway to try to play Jay Nakins a 20, 25 minutes. And Izzo promised that. He said we're going to see him more yep. today mm-hmm. uh, in his postgame presser after Gonzaga. Um, but for Kentucky and Shibway, even if he's good to go, 10 minutes max, dude. You don't want to take the risk no, on the national player uh, of the I mean, year. It's the guard play that's going to you know, set everything apart in this game. You know, The guard play on the 1v1 matchup. 
between, I mean, Carson Wallace, he's one that I am excited to see go and see how he tests the point guards of Michigan, say A.J. Hogart, how well they do against him. It's, you know, Carson Wallace had at least 15 points, eight rebounds, and nine assists in his collegiate debut. Do you know who the only other player to get those kind of numbers was on their collegiate debut? Who? Lonzo Ball. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I saw, I saw um, for Wallace, 15, 9, and 8. He's the only Kentucky freshman to ever have that yeah. debut, mm-hmm. which yeah. is kind of surprising when not only you think about the freshmen that they've had, um, and, and but you also think about Kentucky usually plays a pretty cupcake schedule to start the year other than the Champs Classic and maybe one other They're event. They're that CBS Sports Classic, too, with yeah. uh, North Carolina, UCLA, and Ohio and State. And Ohio State, yeah, that's yeah. a good one for them as well, but... They've played their share of the Stephen F. Austins. Mm-hmm. They lost to Evansville a couple of years yeah. ago, I think it was. Um, and, you know, no discredit to Howard and Duquesne, but they're not exactly Champions Classic and CBS Classics teams. Um, and for him to have 15, 9, and 8 and be the only freshman ever, good for him, but also kind of a surprise. It's like, really, is that yeah. the best? Of, uh, I mean, I guess the best a freshman debut has ever done – I didn't do the research, but maybe someone had 25 and 6. Mm-hmm. And then you can make the argument which you would rather yeah. have, 15, 9, and 8 and a near triple-double or almost 30 points and a couple rebounds he- uh, sprinkled in there. Yeah, okay. Well, no, hold on. I totally read this one wrong. But, yeah, in his last time out, though, too, I mean, he was a little less, I guess, productive. Only 8 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists against Duquesne. And I know, like, that game they had wrapped up pretty early, so I know that they got a lot of other players in the game, but I mean, he's one of their star freshmen. I mean, th- this is like the guy this year at Kentucky that you see in. I mean, he's a top ten recruiter in almost everybody who does rankings, and he's. I mean, he's just so talented on the outside at the wing. He's gonna he's gonna challenge Michigan State for sure. So we'll see how the Spartans do tonight. Make sure if you're listening now to be tuned in to WDBM Sports. Uh, 88.9 FM on your radio dial, impact89fm.org on your uh, internet dial. Um, Luca Maloney's going to have your game recap, your live tweets. Michael and I will be on the call live from Gamebridge Fieldhouse, 6.30. The Impact is on pregame show goes live, um, and Michigan State will take on Kentucky. Before we finish off the episode, something we do every year, get through some quick season predictions. Um, we obviously don't know much. We're just This is really just something for us to bicker about at the end of the year as to who was right and who was wrong. Um, so we'll go through the record, where we think they're placed in the Big Ten, maybe some standout players. Um, so let's start with... Just the overall record prediction, 31 games for Michigan State this year. Obviously won one already, so chalk a win up. Um, the way I always do record predictions is I go through each game and I just say win or loss and count the total wins at the end. Just did it real Yeah, qu- I'm trying to do that right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just did it real quick here, um, and it's not perfect, and, and I didn't put a lot of thought into it, but it's just kind of a gut thing. Do they win this game? Do they lose this game? You know, at Purdue, at Rutgers, home versus Iowa, home versus Indiana, you know, whatever. Just whatever you think, going through it real quick. Pretty similar to my prediction last year. I think last year I had Michigan State at 19 wins. They finished the year with 23 uh, or 22 regular season wins. Um, I've got them through 31 games at 20 and 11 this season. Um, There's a stretch in January and February where I think they can rattle off five or six Big Ten wins in a row, but there's also a stretch. Um, here um, in early January, 
They go at Wisconsin. They go at Illinois. They got Purdue at home, Rutgers at home, Michigan at home before that. Um, I think there's a chance for them to lose five or six in a row here. Um, so I've got 20 wins for the Spartans. That would That's total so 11 losses if you do the math. Uh, Luca, you've got a smaller number on this sheet. I got them at 18 and 13. I just see them in that stretch in January, like you mm-hmm. like you said. Early January is tough, but so is the end of January when they have to they go India at, at all of at just Indiana. the whole month of January. The whole month of January for Michigan State is very difficult, and you know there are games in there where they could look on paper like the team that's going to come out and win, but they could fall through. In, the, in that game and carry it over to the next, and there goes two losses. Right. And, and I think when you look at the rest of November, too, before we even get to the rest of the season, the Big Ten schedule, yeah. I wasn't generous with the rest of this November schedule. I gave them a – I think they win against Villanova on Friday. Villanova in its first season – Yeah, and almost lost to Delaware State. And its first season without Jay Wright does not look like the Villanova of old. Um, and I think there's a chance for Michigan State at home, a Villanova team kind of reeling – um, to pick up a win there, but I only gave them that one. I gave them one in the PKI, and I think they lose to Notre Dame. Um, and then the non-conference yeah. after that, they should win pretty much the rest of the way. They should rattle off five in a row with Brown, Buffalo, Oakland, and then Penn State and Northwestern as their two Big Ten games. Um, but, yeah, I only give them two more wins in November. I give them one in the PKI in the Villanova game. This PKI teams are mm-hmm. tough, man. I don't even know if they'll beat Bama. A lot of people have them picked to, to win that game. I tell you what, man, Nate Oates, Alabama, athletic, fast, shoot the lights out, defend well, long, long as hell, too. Um, Nate Oates is a good coach, big fan of him if you were listening to the the podcast a season ago. Um, Alabama's a good team. But we'll get there when we get there. Michael, you're right in the middle between yeah. Luca and I. I promise you I did not like predict that that was going to happen. I just kind of went through and I was kind of – I think I was right around the 18 number, right where Luca was. And then um, I think I got him winning two in the PKI. Um, I don't know why, but like last year when they went down to Atlantis, really nobody thought they were really going to be that much of yeah. a factor. And they ended right. up making a pretty good run. So I think that they're going to surprise some people out there. Um I didn't have them beating Villanova originally. That could flip into one. That's kind of a toss-up game to me. But um, I just kind of have them right in the middle. I mean, Luca hit it on the nose. I mean, right in January, I, I think there's a chance that they go on a slide. I mean, you're talking Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Purdue, Rutgers, Indiana, Iowa, back to Purdue. It's like, just the month geez. of January, they, like I geez. said, is and just this, this brutal has, for them. This has been a team in the past few years that we've seen when it starts raining, it pours. Right. And when they start sliding, they just go downhill. And I don't know if they could get back. They they don't have a breather. There's nowhere to get back on the horse well, in that schedule. I will say, in the middle of those games, there's no breather. And you're right. Once once the Big Ten season starts, it starts, and you don't breathe until March. Yeah. Um. But when I was going through and adding these games to my calendar when the schedule first came out, it caught me off guard and, and caught my eye how many days off they have for these the the three Buffalo. Oakland and Brown games. They play those three games in like three weeks in December. Now that's because that's because we get around Christmas as well. Um, but that 
to have that after this daunting, not only daunting schedule that they have coming up for the rest of November, but they're all over the country. They're playing one of these games at home, and that's Villanova. The Northern Arizona game was the other one at home. Everything else is away from home, not necessarily true road games, but it's travel. It's a different building. It's a night not slept in your own bed. It's exhausting is what it is to have those 20 days to only play three games in December right before you you really kick off the Big Ten season is going to be huge for them. And and here's my thing. Uh, You get one guy injured out of your best scores on that team, and and it is really downhill. You get a guy, hamstring, whatever, out a week and a half, two weeks. Re-aggravated Jaden Aiken's foot. And there you go. You're losing a, a heavy score. And like I said, you know, this team does not have tremendous depth yet. And we haven't seen really much off the bench, as we can expect, you know, especially with Jaden Aikens coming off a fresh injury. I tell you what, though, it is weird looking at this show sheet and seeing my name with the highest, with the best record prediction last year. It was Luke and Trent were the the optimist caucus the last two seasons, and I was always the pessimist on on the negative end, trying to bring them back into the real world. I think Luke and Trent might have this team with 25 wins this season I just, if I think, we ask them. I think the Big Ten's that good this year, and it's so deep. It's so wide open, it's though. It's so we don't, deep. I feel like we just don't, like, Purdue's going to be good, I think. I mean, Zach Eady is going to, probably have one of the best average stat lines per game stat lines this season in the entire country. Indiana's probably going to be good, but you never know. Um, Michigan and eh, Illinois and eh, Michigan State and eh, Ohio State and eh, like like it's pretty wide open at the two and three spots. And and with that being said, the end eh goes both ways. Maybe Ohio State's amazing this year. All of a sudden, I, what was it last year? They started the season with like one loss. They yeah, and they, Duke, and they know how to crank it up towards home. the end. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, always, they're, I think they're better this year than they were last year. Ohio State, I've, for sure. They lost Branham, though, right? They lost Branham and Liddell, but they have they got um, likely came over from Oklahoma State. They have a couple freshmen yeah. that came in as well, and they finally have like a legit center. That's like taller than like six foot nine. Right. So I think I think Ohio State's better this year than they have been, but we'll see. We will see, and, and that's kind of a good segue into the to the next part that we wanted to talk about. With the the record that you have, where do you think they place in the Big Ten? I think this team is squarely in the top five. I don't see this season going like last year, where they're the underdog or playing in the eight nine game in the Big Ten tournament. Um, which worked out for Michigan State last year. They picked up two wins and went to the semifinals better than people thought they were going to do. They beat a Wisconsin team that was just better than them, honestly. Um, and, and they picked up that. Luca, you've got the same kind of thoughts as me, right in the middle around five or six. I'm going to give them – I like, say, I say Top four would be an incredible achievement, but realistically I think this team falls between somewhere to five to six. I say, I say ceiling three, floor is seven. I think if they finish, finish anywhere below seven – this is a disappointing season. Very disappointing season. I, yeah, I'm kind of going, again, I'm kind of going in the middle, but in terms of your range, but I think their ceiling is about five. I, I just think there's the top teams in this conference, I think, are there for a reason. And they've been there, they've been established. Um, I think a five seed in for Michigan State in, in March in Chicago, I think that would be a great, great place for them to be too, but I could also see them downplaying in that 8-9 game once again. So I'd say right in that 5-8 to eight range for sure. The big thing for Michigan State this year is going to be the defense. Mm-hmm. They defended fantastically last year. They were one of the best three-point shooting and defensive teams, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country last season. They're kind of going to need to do it again this year. We saw against Gonzaga them get back to Izzo's mantra, which they didn't do last year. They were really bad 
at the running part of last year and the rebounding part. But against Gonzaga, especially in that first half and against Northern Arizona, defend, rebound, run. They did all three very well. Second half, they got away from it against the Bulldogs. Um, But with that, who do we think is going to be the defensive player of the year for this Michigan State team? Um, Michael, we'll start with you first on this one because you've got one that kind of surprises me. I'm going with Malik Hall. Um, So far through two games, I thought he's been a very versatile defender for Michigan State on the floor. Obviously, against Northern Arizona, he had, what, three, four blocks, something like that. Um, And that's, I mean, that's Northern Arizona. You can't look into it too much. But I thought against Gonzaga, when tasked with a very difficult responsibility, when he had to be put on Timmy, especially with the foul outs, I thought he kind of held his own pretty well. And they're going to need him. I mean, Malik Hall's a guy you need to count on to guard like three through five, possibly two through five. Um, so I think he's going to step up in that role, and I think he's going to have a pretty good year. I've got Tyson Walker. I think it's easy when you, and this is typical and understandable, when you think about defensive player, you think about, okay, who's got the most blocks, who's going to be their best defensive rebounder. I think last year my pick was Marcus Bingham Jr. Um, but I have been so I've Ever since Walker got here from Northeastern, I've been impressed with his ability to poke balls loose, his help defensive hands, uh, poking his hand in there on guys mm-hmm. trying to drive the lane and pick up their dribble um, and snatching that away. And his on-ball defense on the perimeter is fantastic. Um, but it's only gotten better since he's been here. And I've been just wide-eyed and wowed ev- through these first two games of how good he's been. And you, he's added this facet, it seems like, already defensively. If he can keep this up, he'll be one of the best guard defenders all around in every facet of defense this season in the country, his transition defense mm-hmm. has gotten so good. He's so good. At, he's got the speed to get out in front of the guards and catch up to whoever's in transition the other way. But then he's got the hops and the discipline to jump straight up. It led to two blocks against Northern Arizona. It led to a block against Gonzaga. If he can keep doing that and be a viable transition defender in what is usually a mismatch where he's probably the smaller guy and it's a two-on-one or something... He's going to be the defensive player of the year for Michigan State. I think he's probably going to average two or three steals a game this season, and that's a big number. Um, I think he'll be one of the best defenders in the Big Ten statistically. I think he's the guy who gets Michigan State back to its old ways of defend, force tra- first force turnovers, and then run. Get out in transition, make a play, get to the bucket, dish, drive and dish for a three, something like that. I think Walker is the, uh, the kind of spotlight that leads them there. I like it. And I would go with the same decision with Tyson Walker. His lateral quickness in point guard defending is incredible. I am a huge fan of the way of the way you know very good point guards struggle to match Walker's pace when they're going against him on the one on one. And he's a smart. The thing about it, he's become he's gotten he's become a smarter defender. Uh, I think a season ago, easily. Uh, to start the season last year, very naive, at times very uh, very weak, trying to defend um, in certain positions. But, but what I saw at the latter half of last season was a stronger Tyson Walker, a quicker Tyson Walker, and better hands to steal. So that leads us into the offensive side. Who do we think is going to be the leading scorer this year? Luca, you've got the one who I've seen the most predicted from a lot of other people, and I don't think that's a, a huge leap. You've got Malik Hall. I got Malik Hall. I think Malik Hall is playing with a chip on his shoulder, 
has to prove his offensive worthiness to be on this team. He's got to he ha, him and AJ really have to be the go-to guys to get scoring started on this team and I think Malik Hall is setting himself up to be the leading scorer. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. I I I, I there's a few ways you can go with this. If Joey Hauser shoots like he did at the end of last year, he could be the leading scorer on this team. Um, I think if Tyson Walker shoots double the number of threes that he did last year, he could be the leading scorer on this team. Um, but I think the most versatile guy they have, the guy who's just going to have the most opportunities to score buckets from behind the three-point line and from inside is Malik Hall. And I think because of that, he should and needs to, if this team wants to be successful, lead them in scoring. What that number is, it's got to be much improved from last year. He can't lead this team in scoring with nine points. Uh, he's the lead returning scorer on the team. Um, and he's going to have to average 15, 16, I mean, maybe even more than that. If he averages 15, they've got to have three other guys who are right around 10 or 11, I think, um, to be where we're predicting around the 20-win mark, around the upper echelon of the Big Ten, um, Hall's got to step up and do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just the one being different. Um, <laughs> but, you know, someone's got to. Uh, I'm going to go with A.J. Hogard. Uh, I think this is the year that he kind of can take that jump and can kind of lead the team in scoring. I, I think, I mean, he leads the team in scoring right now through two games. Um, I think his play style is unique especially for a point guard i mean he doesn't shoot the ball well like we know this and like just he's got him a better jump shot but he looks, makes up going it driving looks to better, the lane but he's making up for it when he drives the lane and he's getting to the free throw line a ton right now um and also just like you mentioned with Tyson Walker in transition Hogard's been just as good so far through the first couple games so i think it's close probably between Hall and Hogard they're probably around the same number ish but i'm going to go with Hogard as the leading scorer this year i think AJ's just an incredible passer mm-hmm. of the ball most improved player of the year. This is a fun one to talk about. There's a lot of different ways you can go with this. You can make the argument for a AJ Hogard better jump shot. Malik Hall doubles in scoring, maybe. Um, you talk about the three young guys, Monty Sissoko, Pierre Brooks, Jaden Akins, who are all going to be better this year. Um, I I think it's got to be Pierre Brooks. Luca also <laughs> agrees, it's, uh, agrees you know, with me as well. When you saw him on TV over the last few days, and you guys were there sitting courtside looking at him, Physically, he looks so much better in much better shape than he was when he was a freshman. Yeah, he just looks. It just looks like he's been working in the gym, uh, carving his body to be a better point guard, shooting guard, playing the one and the two. It just looks like he's physically able to match the best guys in the country being built the way he is right now than he was a season ago. Zach Liam and I had this discussion during the Gonzaga game. I think Pierre Brooks has a chance to be a better Gabe Brown. I don't think he'll be as athletic and high-flying. There's not going to be as many highlight dunks. Um, but I I think for for Brown, one of his issues was getting to the rim with the ball in his hands. He was really good at coming off screens, off-ball screens, in transition, getting to the rim, being available for lobs. Well, I think Gabe Brown was just longer, too. Yeah, and skinnier. But I think for Brooks, he has a better build, like you talk about, to use that to his advantage 
bully some guys, get to the rim, but also still have the speed and quickness to it go by quicker, a guy. Yeah, I think and he, I he think, leaned. Too. I think he's already maybe a better shooter off the dribble. Um, and if he can be the spot-up guy that we saw against Northern Arizona where he went Man. four for seven from deep and had yeah. all his points from the floor behind the three-point line, um, he can be a monster. I, I think he, he's going to be the most improved player this year. I totally hear the the other arguments for Aikens and Hall and Hogard, um, but Michael, you again went a different avenue here, and this is a pick I love. I absolutely love. I wanted to pick this one, but then I, I changed it at the last second. Um, but you've got Marty. Yeah, um, and by the way, I think Brooks is a very good answer as well. I think it's probably these two near the top, but to me, Marty Sissoko is he has such an opportunity this season to kind of take over that center role and really make it his own. And I think through two games we've already seen it. Against Gonzaga in that first half, Sissoko was the best player on the floor for a few minutes. I mean, they couldn't 100%. stop you could, Yeah, you yeah. can make that argument 100% that he was the best player on the and, floor. He was athletic, yep. aggressive, everything you needed him to be. And I think just as the season grows, I think he— and Well, and what I'll say, this is why I think I have him in this spot. He's got still so much more to improve on. I mean, Brendan, you touched on it earlier in the show. We need to see him be able to defend without fouling. Like, is Maudie going to be one of those guys who every single game's in foul trouble? Yeah. We, he's he's just going to ha- he's gonna have to be a lot more yeah. clever and a lot more intelligent about the way he goes to mm-hmm. defend at the rim yeah. than he has been in, fa- in the past few seasons. And I think that's just going to come with experience and game time. But I think just as it goes on, you know, we'll see how the season progresses. But I, I like him to be in that spot because we've already seen the flashes of it where he can completely take over ball games for this team. And for a guy, to your point, Luca, for a guy who's not 6'10", 6'11", 7'1", like some of the guys they'll go against, 6'9", 240, Sissoko, that's undersized. It is in the Big Ten for sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and it's also undersized in the fact of the way the center position has changed in basketball. Yeah, I think of a guy like Jabari Smith last year from Auburn, my favorite player all season mm-hmm. last year. I think he's going to be a fantastic player in the pros 6'10", 2.30, dribble the ball, shoot the lights out. And a wingspan that's almost like 7'1". God, dude, his wingspan's like 11 feet. It's unreal. (laughs) And so for a guy like Sissoko to go up against other guys, like I immediately think of Zach Eady when I think of like how Sissoko does this year in the Big Ten. He's going to have to make up for that with the speed. He's going to have to be quicker. That's what Marcus Bingham did. Mm -hmm. Bingham was way undersized weight-wise last year. Against guys like Kofi Coburn, Zach Eady, Travion Williams, Williams, EJ Liddell. So what he did is he let those guys go first. I thought it was so smart. Hunter Dickinson, another guy. He would let those guys get him below the rim. He'd let them make their first move, but he's long enough and was fast enough to counter that and get so many blocks. That's why he was one of the best shot blockers in the country a season ago. So Soko has to find a way to make up for it with mm-hmm. speed and, again, being smart and not fouling. Off the pick and roll, too, he was Yeah, he was much phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. His touch has gotten much so much Much improved on the, off the pick and roll. Oh, and, and we was, also need to see him hit free throws a lot more consistently. Yeah. I thought against Gonzaga, he hit a few there in his last few kind shaky, of in a row. Though. But yeah, you could blame on, it on the sun. For you the could blame it on the sun, I guess. <laughs> right, the first, the first half, yeah, they had to go got against it, the sun He's going to draw a lot of fouls, and he needs to make teams pay at the free throw line. So with that... The final category, the one everybody loves, the most valuable player. And I really look at Team MVP mm-hmm. as a different award. And this is just in sports in general, football, basketball, baseball, whatever. MVP to me is different than POI, Player of the Year. I agree. Um, I think Player of the Year is 
the best player with the best stats and the best accolades, blah, blah, blah. MVP is what it is. The most valuable player on this team. Um, and for me, it has to be Malik Hall. I think I, – I, I thought about Hauser first for a minute here. I and saw you, like, put Hauser in. I, I put Hauser, <laughs> and then I just changed the last four letters to LL. Yeah. And I think for – I think what changed my mind was – imagining the rest of the season. And when I think of most valuable player, I think of how a team does in games where that guy disappears. Um, and so I thought of Hauser, and they were close against Gonzaga when he disappeared. They were close in other games last season when he disappeared. They won some games when he disappeared last year. The best version of Michigan State is when we saw Joey Hauser against Davidson with a career-high 29 points mm-hmm. and going off, and that was a fun game, and they only won that game because of him in the NCAA tournament last year. But... The guy they'll need most consistently and the guy who it is most noticeable when he's not on the floor on both ends is Malik Hall. Even if Malik Hall repeats last season and has 10 points, 11 points a game, there is a difference when he is on the floor. There's a little bit more calm. The offense can just do more. He can play the five. He can play the three. He can shoot it from deep if he's open. Um, You can use him in the pick and roll. He can ISO one and one. Um, and then defensively, you alluded to it earlier, Michael. Uh, he's just so versatile with that build that he has, with the athleticism that he has. It's so easy to notice the difference. Um, and you're in agreement with me, yeah. too, that you think it would be Hall this year. I, I look at MVP exactly like you do, Brendan. I don't think it's a award for most. It's not a most outstanding. It's, right. it's the most valuable. And Malik Hall is the heart and soul of the team, and we know this. He's the vocal leader. He's He's their senior. He's probably the most experienced player on this Michigan State team being in the program for four years. I he can do it all on both ends. He's a mismatch nightmare. I just think, like I said, I mean, you could talk about other players. Like, I mean, I know Luke is going to talk about his guy in a second. Who he may be like the engine, but Malik calls the soul and the heart and the soul, and that's that's where val- value is for me. I think it's a great way to put it, and I think who Luca has definitely is yeah. the engine. Luca share with the class. Yes. So for me, it's going to be AJ. You know, you talk about player of the year and then MVP, you know, and I look at it as, you know, MVP. It's got to be the guy that, you know, that you can't take off the court at any given moment. And for me, it's got to be AJ. You know, as much as I like Malik Hall in this position, as much as I want him to be the driving force behind this team, for me, it's AJ is the one who has seemingly taken responsibility of this Mm -hmm. team in the biggest moments. And if he continues to do that, if he continues to shine, if he continues to be the driving force, the engine behind the team that can get players open and get the best scoring opportunities and even create tough opportunities for himself, he's my team MVP. AJ loves the stage, man. AJ would win Best Supporting Actor, like if he was a, if he was an actor, he would win the Oscar because he 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 loves he loves the stage and loves the big moment. Um, he loves to talk his shit. He he is uh. Just such a fun player to watch, and putting him as the engine is a great way to put it, Michael. Um, looking for a big game from A.J. Hogard tonight. If you want to uh, tune in, it'll be on WDBM, both impact89fm.org and 88.9 FM uh, on the airwaves. Luca's going to have the recap, the live tweets, the pressers. Michael and I will bring you everything on the air. Um Guys, here's to here's to another good year for for Luca and I. We've got one more. You too, Michael. Yeah, you're yeah, a senior. Exactly. I'm a senior. Yeah. All three of us. This is the first time in, I think, four, three or four seasons the that the entire beat gone. is going to graduate. 
Um, yeah, that's right. So hopefully we're, we're going to bombard you. Hopefully. If you're listening, we're going to bombard you with content this year because we don't have many more opportunities to do stuff like this. So make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're going to do a lot this season uh, here on Impact, and it starts tonight. 7 p.m. against Kentucky. We'll be live at 6.30. This has been the Impact is on on WDBM.